Hi, welcome to FASD Family Life, the podcast for families by families, where we get real about raising children and youth with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I am your host, Robbie Seal, FASD educator, advocate, and mom of four children with FASD. I know the struggle is real, but so is success. And I hope that sharing my experiences can help you feel that you're not alone and that there is hope for you and your child with FASD. And I have great news to share with you. FASD Family Life Podcast has surpassed 4,500 downloads since it launched in March 2021. That's so exciting. Thank you for listening and for sharing. And I regularly hear from you, listeners all around the world. I love it. I hear from Scotland, Australia, South Africa, the UK, Germany, Brazil, the US and Canada. And I had a lot of fun with my summer series, Talk to the Experts, as I got to know and speak with so many fascinating people with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder who are making a difference in their communities. Their strength, tenacity, and grace buoyed my mother's heart as my husband and I raised our three teens with FASD. They gave me hope for better days ahead. These FASD advocates exemplify the statement, the struggle is real and so is success. I hope you take some time to go back and listen to those episodes. I also had the privilege of speaking with and learning from other parents who are raising children with this invisible disability. It is so wonderful to meet other parents who understand our lived experience, isn't it? Hey, do you want to support the work of FASD Family Life? It's easy. Pop over to buy me a coffee forward slash FASD Life to buy me a coffee for $5. And you can find the link in the show notes and on my Facebook page. Now, I hope you had a chance to listen to my last episode where I talked about separate for success. No, 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 no. It's not divide and conquer. That's totally different. Separate for success is a really easy, supportive intervention that we can use with our kids to prevent the blowouts from sensory overwhelm, mental exhaustion, executive function deficits, and so much more. It's easy, quick, and can be implemented anywhere. I'd love to hear your experience using Separate for Success in your home, so write to me at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com. Never miss another episode by subscribing to FASD Family Life Podcast. Subscribing helps you because every new episode will appear in your phone, iPad, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it helps others find the podcast because subscribing signals to the algorithms that this podcast is relevant to people who want to know more about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And you can share FASD Family Life Podcast on your social media and with others in your network of friends and family, as well as your child's teacher, so that we can all learn and grow in our understanding of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Well, here we are, my friends, episode 27 of FASD Family Life, here on September 17th. Well, the summer is over. The kids are back at school. I really hope the transition has gone well for you and your family, but I know this can be a very difficult time for some families. Children get stressed and so do we. Plus, the daily news reports telling us that COVID is on the rise leave us all wondering what's next. I know new COVID restrictions were announced yesterday here where I live. So I guess it's no wonder that I've been ruminating on stress lately thinking about caregiver stress in particular. 
As parents and caregivers, we have a lot going on every day. You know, much more than the typical family down the street or in your friendship group or perhaps even in your extended families. And these families do not understand. But then again, how could they? But you and I are not alone. You only need to check the FASD parenting groups on Facebook to get a sense of the challenges that we all face. Stress is inevitable. And as my lovely mother-in-law reminds me often, life is hard. Stress can be instructive in our lives as well as destructive. You know, the circumstances come into our lives sometimes by our own hand and sometimes by the hand of another. And how we respond determines if we grow or if we wither. And you and I get many opportunities to practice choosing our response as we raise children with a brain-based disability like FASD in a society that doesn't see the disability. So we need discernment to know which of the stress-inducing circumstances is within our control and which are not. This comes naturally for some people, like my husband Rob. He is calm and unflappable because he has a well-developed awareness of his boundaries and he just doesn't take on the responsibility for things that are outside his control. I love it. I call it Rob. It's nice and steady. And I need that because this doesn't come easy for me. My parents tell me that I've always been a worrier. I think I probably get that from my maternal grandmother. And with worry comes stress, sore stomachs, headaches, tight shoulders, back pain, and sleeplessness. And in my case, another response to worry is overplanning and organizing in order to control the circumstances as well as the outcomes. Now, the overplanning and hyper-organization served me very well when I had five children aged 16, 11, 3, 3, and a baby at home. That strength enabled me to do a lot of things to create a five-week meal plan, keep up with the laundry of five kids and two adults, homeschool my second daughter, keep track of various events from schools, church, my husband's shift work, and many, many doctor's appointments, and keep an orderly home, volunteer at church, and the list goes on. Ugh, it gives me a sore stomach just thinking about it now. These same skills served me well when I was solo parenting during my separation and divorce. And I needed these skills in the weeks and months to keep leading my family while at the same time I was desperately trying to get help for my 14-year-old who was slipping into addiction, advocating for assessments when the twins were failing school, and asking our pediatrician for guidance because my 3-year-old was extremely hyperactive. The emotional toll was immense, as were the stacks of paperwork, the numerous appointments, and the search for resources to help my children. But I can tell you that trying to control the outcomes when your child is in addiction is futile. I tried and tried for years. Now that's not to say we don't intervene and we don't try to get help. No, we do that. But trying to control the outcomes is so it's futile. One sleepless night after my daughter had relapsed, I lay awake worrying and listening for her to come home. You know when they say desperation is the mother of invention? Well, that may be, but be cautious because not all inventions work out as well as intended. You see, in that night, worry had hatched a plan to protect my daughter. 
deluded that I could actually protect her, I had convinced myself that if I could just hide her car, no, you heard that right, hide her car, she wouldn't be able to go out and use drugs with her friends. Since she was out till about 3 a.m., I had all night to run scenarios and plan where I was going to hide her car. Just me and worry. Well, by the time she came home, I had crafted a fail-safe plan. Wrong. Do you want to hear the plan that worry had cooked up? Warning, do not try this at home. As soon as I was sure my daughter had gone to bed, I snuck out of my bedroom and outside in the middle of the night. I drove my van off the driveway so that I could drive my daughter's vehicle into the garage and hide it from her. And then I returned my van to its original place on the driveway. Yep, it was nice and easy, like nothing had happened. It all went brilliantly until it didn't. It was clear to me that I was trying to protect my daughter, but she did not see it that way at all. She was furious. She felt violated that I had taken control of her vehicle and hid it. My actions only inflamed the stress we were all feeling at that time. No, yeah, I know. That was a stupid move on my part. Best intentions, but stupid nonetheless. I took responsibility for a circumstance that was not mine, and I tried to control the outcome. My daughter would not go out and use drugs and would not drive high. Well, I don't know. Control might be necessary when children are very young and in emergency situations, but I've come to learn that thinking you're in control is an illusion. I like what Dr. Ross Green says about controlling children. Dr. Ross Green's collaborative parenting model is built on the premise that kids do well if they can. I like that. Kids do well if they can, instead of kids do well if they want to. And I, the parent, am going to make them want to be good or do well. The collaborative parenting model invites parents and caregivers to look behind the behaviors and identify the lagging skill or skills that make this presenting circumstance unattainable for the child. I can't say I have this down pat, but I am improving. And trying to make your kids want to is futile and stressful, especially if they have a brain-based disability because they don't see things the way you do. I have found that taking a brain-based approach that Diane Malbin puts forward in her book, Trying Differently Rather Than Harder, has helped me see undesirable or unexpected behaviors as symptoms of the brain injury caused by prenatal alcohol exposure. And this view has reduced my stress immeasurably. With this lens, parents are able to interpret the behavior, the children's behavior from a disability perspective. The circumstances viewed as one as can't rather than won't. And this shift in perspective is a game changer because of instead of responding with frustration and anger, we engage with our child to enable them to have success. We work collaboratively with our kids to find a solution. I stumbled in my response before remembering kids do well if they can when the school bus driver waved me over to tell me that my kids had been swearing and behaving badly on the drive home. I was fuming mad and hastily sent my three kids up to their rooms. I wanted to get to the bottom of the situation and I wanted them to know I was not pleased. 
Interestingly, two of my kids came to the defense of the one who had been swearing on the bus, but I was too stressed and angry to hear what my kids were really trying to tell me. I missed the lagging skill that led to this circumstance. Instead, I told my child that swearing at another person was not acceptable and that she had to stay in her room for the rest of the evening. Later, Dr. Green's voice was ringing in my mind, kids do well if they can. Along with his familiar inquiry, it sounds like you had a hard time. What's up? I went to my daughter and apologized for getting angry. And when I used Dr. Green's words, my daughter teared up and was able to tell me that she had been trying to protect her little brother. And that's why she got angry and swore at the other student on the bus. There it was. Her intention was to protect her brother, but the lagging skill was self-control and using assertive language or asking for help. With the lens of can't, I was able to step toward my daughter acknowledge that she had had a hard time, and then teach her the necessary skill. And believe me, apologize again for getting it so terribly wrong. I agree with Dr. Green's sentiment, kids do well if they can. And I subscribe to that philosophy, as well as that of Dr. Sterling Claren, who in the course of his research came to understand that the damage caused to the brain and body by alcohol exposure in the womb constitutes a physical disability, as such individuals with FAS or FASD require environmental adaptations and accommodations to enable them to reach their full potential. So when a child can't sit still, that's what it is. It's can't sit still, not won't sit still. So what are the adaptations we can put into that environment to enable that child to succeed? Now, this does not mean that I no longer have days that feel like weeks. I certainly do. My circumstances have not changed. I am still a parent of five kids, two adults and three teens, four of whom have a brain-based disability from alcohol, trauma, and other substances in the womb. That is not going to change. Each one will require understanding, support, and accommodations every day, of every week, of every year, for the rest of their lives. I cannot change that, but I can change how I respond to the needs and the challenges that present in any given moment. I also do not need to carry this responsibility alone. I have learned that I need to build a team around myself and my children. Our team is comprised of medical professionals, social workers, teachers, coaches, therapists, mental health professionals, job coaches, disability services, as well as our family and my mom group you hear me talk about. You and I carry a great deal of responsibility. We live with children, teens, and perhaps adults with FASD a permanent brain-based disability with behavioral symptoms. And often those closest to us do not understand the complexities of our situations. And they are free with their criticism and advice without having walked a mile in our shoes or lived a week in our homes. To the cashier at the grocery store whose opinion I did not ask for, I invite you for dinner. To the disability support worker who says we don't qualify for services, I invite you to have my children stay at your house for a week. 
And to the person who says you're being overprotective, I ask, have you had your child fall prey to addiction after one drink of alcohol? Because I have. It's a lot. I know. And if we look at the whole circumstance for too long, we will be overwhelmed. It is all too much. But it doesn't have to be. Let's be like the Sherpa who guides the climbers up Mount Everest. Let's study the mountain, the weather, and the people. Let's take stock of the challenges that lie before us and gather our gear, our training, and our tools. Let's heed the warnings of our elders and the fellow travelers so we can avoid pitfalls. And like the Sherpa, we can climb this mountain one step at a time, taking time to rest and to acclimatize to each new level before venturing out again. And like the Sherpa, when we summit the mountain, it will be our climber that succeeds. And isn't that what we all want? In 1932, Reinhold Niebuhr wrote this prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, taking this world as it is and not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. I hope you found this episode helpful and hopeful. You can share it with your friends and family and on your social media. And I would love to hear from you. Do you have a question that you would like me to address on the show? What's your biggest struggle? Email the show at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com and I will do my best to address it via email and on the show so we can all learn and grow together. Thank you for sharing your time with me. I know it's precious. And until next week, remember, the struggle is real, but so is success. I'll speak with you soon.